Welcome in, everybody, to the Landry Football Podcast. Great to be back with you. What a week it's been. Um, sorry we were not able to be with you if you follow us on uh, social media, and I encourage you to do so at Landry Football. You know that uh, I lost the voice last week. I don't know what's going on. I haven't felt the best lately, but it, it hasn't, you know, the I didn't have any other symptoms, but the voice just went out last Wednesday and I was, so I was going to push this show back to Thursday and it just wasn't any better. Friday wasn't any better. And, uh, it's gotten a little bit better. Uh, I'm at least somewhat audible now, uh, maybe not where I want it to be, but, uh, it was, uh, it felt like, um, somebody had their throat around the insides of my neck and I just, uh, I just words would not come out. Uh, I can sense it's still very strange, so we're going to get through this podcast and talk some football, but um, I don't know how long we're going to go. Uh, so bring your questions here. We're, I want to make sure I get to them. Um, I want to um, you know, be able to get into some things, but also don't want to annoy you with a voice that's just not real strong. I didn't even get a chance, obviously, last week to break down a little bit of the uh, – national championship game in college football. I've done it on different platforms, but because the voice went out uh, on Wednesday, the latter part of last week, I was not able to to really get into that. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but going to focus mainly on the NFL playoffs, uh, kind of what happened. Uh, the goal last week was to go into the, all the, uh, the wild card matchups and preview them for you. But um, the good thing about, being a part of LandryFootball.com is you get all of that in detail. And that's why we encourage you to check out what we're doing there as we break down all the games, all the information, uh, all the coaching search news in our notebooks in the NFL, um, all the college football transfer portal information, recruiting uh, the regular February signing day is two weeks um from today. So a lot of that stuff we've got for you at Landry Football. So we're able to get all that to you up on the website, even though we're not able to verbally talk about it. But we're going to get to it today. I already feel the voice <clears throat> starting to strain, but uh, appreciate everybody's patience and, and certainly jump on um, the chat room wherever you're listening to us uh, and watching us and uh, let us know uh, any questions or thoughts. Let's Let's get into quickly since it's kind of old hat and You've, it's in its old news, but I, I want to get to it because I've had a few people send in some questions and uh, about it, and so I want to at least sum up my thoughts on the national championship game. And, and the best way I can describe it is a couple of things, and the complete details of it, you can again, get more detail at Landry Football. But to me, this was the game I thought we were going to see in the conference championship. Um, we didn't, we didn't see, um, Georgia play well in that game. And I thought Georgia at Alabama had a lot to do with it. I think that, um, the game plan, there are two things that jumped out at me for Georgia, that the difference between the conference championship game and that layoff leading into the game against Michigan were, indicators that they recognized that there were problems with conditioning, maybe not having to play four quarters most of the year. They were in much better condition uh, football team. They were able to take control of the game. I thought in the preview uh, when we last spoke of that game, the key was to get Bryce Young off his mark and to make him uncomfortable in the pocket. And they were able to do that very successfully. And that was the key to the game. They could not do that in the conference championship game. They were able to do that uh, in this game. So that, to me, was the difference. Um, I thought Georgia was the better team this year, most of the year. It, it doesn't matter. You have to be better when it matters the most. And it was not the best team in the conference championship game that went to Alabama, but it was the case that they were the best team. Um, and 
the national championship game. So kudos to them. I thought Alabama did a phenomenal job. The fact that they had a chance to win it, the fact that they got this team going as far as it did with the limitations that it had on the offensive line. Think about it. They didn't have a strong, healthy Alabama-style running back most of the year. Down a couple of receivers. Look, this wasn't the, well, Alabama's loaded. They got everybody all the time. Georgia was a more talented team. Georgia was a more experienced team. The fact that Alabama was able to beat them in the conference championship game and had a chance late, played right with Georgia, was pretty impressive. Uh, But congrats to Georgia. The uh, overreaching thoughts of, you know, what I have said for a while that Kirby Smart didn't get enough credit with regards to how he's built this football program. I'm always a believer that you build a strong foundation and you have a consistent program that's very good. That's more impressive than the fly-by-night. It, You know, it's great one year. It's not great the next. Consistency is the key. Being consistently good in anything is the key to being really successful. And so they're going to be here for the long haul. Are they going to win as many titles as Alabama has under Nick Saban? Heck, I don't know that. How realistic is that anyway? I mean, if you think about it. But they'll be in the mix. And then that's all you can ask for. Um, And Alabama, I think, is going to be, you know, back again and competitive next year. So those are my overreaching thoughts. You got any more questions? Bring them in there. Want to get into the NFL playoffs and kind of take it since I was not able to break down the games going into it. I mean, we did on Landry football, but was not able to do it here. The, the, the big key is I thought in the Cincinnati game against the Raiders, I thought Cincinnati was the better team. And I thought the Raiders got in mainly because I thought the Chargers with more talent, really did a poor job and I thought kind of ruined some opportunities for them. Um, and so I thought the Raiders would have a hard time. The Raiders actually played pretty well. They were in the game. So the Bengals move on. We'll get into the matchups here in a second. Um, the fallout is obviously Joe Burrow made plays when he needed to. They was not great. The offense wasn't great. The entire game, in fact, I thought the defense was the big key for them. Uh, They stood up and made big plays. What does it mean for the Raiders? There's going to be massive changes. Um, I think um, Derek Carr is going to have to be looked at by a number of people in the league. And certainly the new coach is going to have to take a look at the situation. What's going to happen there? A lot of discussion is... The Raiders have a GM opening. I I understand this, that when John Gruden got the job, it was because Mark Davis was infatuated with John. He knew John and liked John from the first time there when John worked for, for Mark's dad. And so John made all the decisions. And John didn't want a strong GM in position. Um, So you hired a guy that he knew that he did some work with in TV or knew from TV that really, in my opinion, was not qualified for the job. And, you know, Mayock was fired. Um, It's difficult. I, I hate it when people lose jobs. It's tough. But, you know, the reality is Talking on TV or the radio is is not the same job as when you have to make decisions, coaching decisions, scouting evaluation decisions, front office decisions. It's a different world because, oh, man, I that guy sounds great. He's great. You know, calling people around the league 
and asking their, uh, you know, getting eight or nine opinions or three or four opinions on one player and ranking a list and putting out a list and talking on TV about them is not scouting. It's reporting. It's just gathering information. When you got to make decisions and you got to know how to evaluate and you got to scout the scouts and coach the scouts and, and help teach people something that you've never done yourself, it's very, very difficult. So you end up with, my God, how many? You have to do a really poor job to blow high first-round picks. To do a number of them, to blow a number of them, you've got to be incompetent. You've got to be incapable of knowing what you're looking for. And that's what I was afraid of. You get exposed when you don't have the safety net of getting other people's opinion to help you guide you so that you can say something cute or intelligent on TV. But when you got to sit in that chair and all of a sudden they're not going to help you anymore because they're trying to compete against you in building a team and you've never done it, you're in trouble. And they were. So, they are searching um, for their GM and for their head coach. We got updates over at our scouting notebook, our NFL notebook, rather, at LandryFootball.com. The Bengals' first win in a long time in the playoffs. Congrats to them. The biggest surprise to me last week, if you are a member of LandryFootball.com, you know that I thought the Bills would beat the Patriots. I thought it would be a lot closer. The beatdown that the Bills put on the Patriots was surprising to me. The degree of which they beat them. Yeah, the the Bills have a lot of talent. The Bills have got a great quarterback. Explosive quarterback. A talented guy. A guy that can certainly be a difference-making type player in the game. And boy, do they make a difference. Very, very impressive. The fact that they dominated I mean it with a capital D dominated the Patriots defense was pretty impressive and a little bit surprising that they were able to, to execute that dominant performance, most surprising matchup. Um, Tampa Philly, you know, you can look at Tampa not playing quite as well as they were coming into the playoffs last year as they are this year. But you got a one-dimensional Philly team. Philly is what I would call a non-playoff caliber team that in the modern-day age of having a number of teams in the playoffs, they're a team that made the playoffs. But they did not look and match up and did not have the diversity of skill to be a playoff caliber team. Not, neither did, did Pittsburgh, for example. But they made it. Um. We're going to get into the matchups this week, but that game went pretty much as I expected in a dominating fashion. The game that I said, look out, if you're going to be the the home team that's the favorite, the higher seed, who's going to get beat? I had it for you at Landry Football. The, the best chance was going to be the Cowboys having some trouble against San Francisco. Uh, the Niners much better coach team, much more disciplined team, um, organized, um, had good balance, knew how to attack, managed things well, had a hard time as they tend to do, closing people out because they don't have enough of a passing game. But the Niners maximize what they have. They really do. They're well coached. Dallas, you know the storyline, more on that in a second, that everyone's talking about. But Dallas is a collection of some impressive-looking talent, but they're not what you would call a as good of a football team as they are individual collection of talent. Why is that? It's a bigger issue than just that game. Let's get into the game. 
and then I'm going to branch out. Let's get to the end of it. I mean, I, I could say this, um, and I'll, I'll save the big picture, but let's go to the end of the game because that's what people want to focus on. The rule of thumb is if you're late in the game in that situation, you practice it or you should practice it. We practice it every Friday in the NFL, um, wherever I've been, situations like that. And several of them. Yeah, no timeouts. There are a couple of options. You can throw it, and maybe that would have been a better option there. But let's let's take the run. Let's take what they did and examine that. How you have to run that is you need to have the rule of thumb is you need to have 18 seconds. If you don't have 18 seconds, look, you got to have an internal clock in your head. And you have to have the vision, and you always scout and know where the scoreboard is. You got to be able to see it. You got to be able to make snap decisions. You're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. 14 seconds is very risky. If you're going to take off and run, and you're going to make it a little bit more of a manageable, regular, final play opportunity, you got to be smart about it. You've got to know in your head and you got to know from peripheral vision that you got to get down sooner because 14 seconds is not enough to be able to execute that normally. You got to get down quicker. And yes, you have to hand the ball to the official. You have to expedite every second, every split second is critical. You still may not have had time to do it. Yes, the umpire is far got a long way to come from where he was but you got to account for that that's the what we call the rub of the green to use a golf term you throw the football middle of the field and you hit the umpire square between the eyes i mean it's he's got to be in a position to make a call you hit him he's part of the field he's got there's nothing the official did wrong he's got to set the play so he's trying to fight on an offensive line, instead of handing them the ball and had, instead of expediting it, they got to work his way through and, t- and set it. There goes your time. So you ma- mismanage that. Where is the fault? You're coaching it or you're allowing it to happen. You either didn't prepare for that situation well enough or you didn't prepare for it at all. I, I don't know. Not in their practices every day. Mike has said that we practice that all the time. Well, you're not doing it good enough because that was ill-prepared. He said 14 seconds is plenty enough time to get it done. 14 seconds is not plenty enough time if you're going to take it that far on the run. Something's got to give. you got to do a better job getting the ball set, helping expedite getting the ball set. you got to cut the play short. You know, as a quarterback, you're in a better you're in a better position to kill the plague yourself by giving yourself up, getting up, handing it off, and then getting in position. At that point, you have a a chance to get a clock off. The fact that they didn't even get a shot it's you know it's not a high percentage that they score, but they didn't even get that shot. It just poorly managed. So what does the issue come out of that? It's not just, well, they they blew this great opportunity to win it because that wasn't a great opportunity to win it. It was a chance at the end. But the biggest problem that they had is this was a poorly executed, poorly prepared Cowboy team on Sunday. And that's not the first time we've seen it. They've been up and down. There have been four times this year in 279 NFL games, I believe it is, every game this season. Every game this season, from first game of the regular season through the playoffs last week. I think it's 278. Numbers may be a little off. doesn't matter. 
in that range. Four teams, four, had 14 penalties or more in a game. Two of those four were the Dallas Cowboys. Twice. It happened Sunday. Eight times, eight, eight times a penalty either cost Dallas a first down or gave the 49ers a first down. That is, we talk about all the time, the first step to learning how to win football games is to learn how to not lose them. They don't know how to not lose them. Poorly prepared, poorly executed team. I I don't know what more to say about it. That's what they are. Are they a great team? No. They've got missing parts, but they've got some talent too. They don't maximize what they have. Why is that? Well, Mike McCarthy's a bad coach, a good coach. Okay. There's a couple of things there. One, the biggest problem they have in Dallas is there's no empowerment in that locker room. There's no, there's not the normal respect for the head coach in that locker room as there is in most places. There is, or it should be in every place. The, regardless who you are, the owner, the GM, whatever, the spokesman for your football team in the NFL is your head coach. The guy that everyone needs to be accountable to is to the head coach because it's the football team that has to execute. You absolutely have to put a team together. You got to make salary cap decisions. You got to do all of that. But when it comes time to getting that team to perform, if the players don't respect what the head coach says, you have to know what the head coach means and knows that he means it. And if you don't have that, you don't have that accountability, that empowerment in the locker room. You're not going to be a great team. You're always going to be a little bit more me-oriented. And why do they have that? Mike McCarthy's not a he, – he was that, this and that in Green Bay. Why did they hire – because if you're the Dallas Cowboys, if you're a coach, you don't want to deal with – the nonsense that the Cowboys have to deal with, with Jerry Jones, where you got the owner who does his, you know, press conference in the locker room every week. Like he knows what the hell he's talking about beyond me, but people are looking, Hey, he said this, and this coach is in trouble. This play. He's got his own TV show, radio show. His son. He's on, got his own radio deal. They are all spokesmen for the team. They're all speaking, well, we like how our linebackers are playing. We like this. We like that. When you do that, you usurp the power of the head coach. The players themselves are not accountable to the head coach. That's the problem. It's the ego. It's the owner wanting to be the center of attention all the time is the reason why you don't have good leadership from the head coach position because the players don't really respect the head coach because the buck doesn't stop there. It's, you know, the owner can, we can go to the owner and we can get this done or whatever. So there's no accountability. And then therefore the Dallas Cowboys, which if you look at the money they generate and you look at the, great money-making owner that Jerry Jones is, if he wanted to, if his ego wasn't in the way, he could hire the best football guys and back off and not talk to the media and let his football coach run the team and speak for the team. There would be more accountability and empowerment. But this is why the Cowboys are always fractured in this and direction and that direction and this and that. And you say things and it's just, it's a, it's a mess. It's why there's consistent underachievement there. 
Very often they're overrated because they're a hype machine. The owner hypes them up. Then, you know, it, it, it puts a lot of issues. So that's the bigger picture issues uh, with the Cowboys and uh, why they once again are, are out with a pretty talented team, but again, an underachieving one. I didn't think that Pittsburgh looked anything like a playoff caliber team. Um, and they didn't look like it against Kansas City. They are very limited, obviously, with Big Ben on the way out, limited in the passing game. Um, you know, defending the run's a problem. That That's another team like Philadelphia that was not a playoff team. They're just a team that made the playoffs. Kansas City was outstanding. They and Buffalo look like the teams to beat in the AFC. We'll see what Tennessee has to say about that as they open things up this weekend at home against Tennessee. And then on Monday night, the Rams dominating the Cardinals. The Cardinals, the Rams are the better team of the two, no doubt. And I'm not surprised that the Cardinals struggled. I don't think that team's particularly um, well coached, not very consistent in their own right. I thought um, the Rams would get it done. Great for Matthew Stafford, great for the Rams. I I don't know that uh, things will continue. So see Kev Belargo and Rich Coates. Um, joining us in the chat room. I'll get to you here in a second. Um, but I think that um, one of the things that we're uh, we're going to get into some of the matchups this week and kind of take a look at uh, how this might play out going forward. Uh, I do want to remind you about my good friends at MyPillow. Um, great job with pillows. Great job with um, sheets. They've got it all. But I got to tell you something that uh, Mike Lindell and his crew has changed with is with a six piece towel set. I've got some, they're fantastic. They're made with USA cotton, making it extremely absorbent yet still providing that soft feel you look for in a towel. The set comes with two bath towels, the two big ones, the two hand towels, and then the two little washcloths. And boy, they're really good. They, uh, the set comes uh, typically retailed for $109 but you can get them for a limited time with a low price of $39.99 by using the promo code LANDRY, all caps, L-A-N-D-R-Y. Remember, all MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. So uh, check them out. Give them a call at 1-800-659-2338 and uh, enter the promo code LANDRY to get that great offer that they have. Really good product. I'm loving it and uh, encourage you to take advantage of it. Appreciate their involvement in the show. Let's see what you've got in the chat room uh, right now. We'll get to it, and we're going to preview some games and uh, talk a little bit about what else is going on uh, around the world. Kev Bellargo, appreciate you joining. What are the odds that the Dolphins land a better coach than Brian Flores? Not very good. I think Brian, it wasn't about Kev being a better coach. It's a typical um, power struggle. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that he and Chris Greer, there was power struggle going on and he lost. I think they lost the better of the two football people. Brian was a really good coach and I think the Dolphins made a mistake. Be tough for them to answer your question too. Uh, see uh, them get somebody better. We'll see. Do you see any justification in the argument the Cowboys should move on from McCarthy and the Cardinals from Kingsbury? No, I don't. Not right now. I don't think it's... Look, again, we just went over McCarthy. The problem is, is who are you going to get in Dallas? Again, it's the Dallas Cowboys, but it's run by Jerry Jones. And people who have other options are not going to be interested in putting up with the clown show that is the Jones family. Um, I'm not a big fan of Kingsbury, but they basically drafted the quarterback so that Kingsbury could work and develop him. So they're kind of tied at the hip right now with him. Um, So you're going to see that. um, And I don't know. I don't think they're as talented as the Rams. I don't think they're as good. Um, And so – I don't think there's much justification for it at this point, at this time. 
Rich coaches, I Chris, the Bengals and the Raiders game of the call that was about hearing the whistle where Joe Burrow was supposedly out of bounds right before he threw the touchdown in the end zone. What was that about? Well, very simply, so Joe Burrow, I'm sure those of you saw it, to reiterate what happened, Joe Burrow was rolling to his right. And as he was going towards out of bounds, as his left foot inbounds, he pushes off and he throws the ball in the end zone while his right foot is in the air before it touches out of bounds. Therefore, he was not out of bounds. He was in bounds. And so he got the ball off, and he got in the end zone. The mistake that was made, honest mistake, but a one that was a mistake nonetheless, the officials obviously blew the whistle because they're seeing it in live action full speed. And look, when I'm watching it full speed, I can't tell if he's in or out. Everybody says, oh, he's clearly in. Yeah, it's clearly in if you watch it on replays and you see it. You might see it. You might get the good angle. If you're there live, you might be able to see a play like that. But a lot of times, you can't really tell until the replay. In live action, the official thought he was out of bounds, so he blew the whistle. When you blow the whistle, the play's dead. And if you watch it, you had a couple of defenders freeze and stop. You're kind of taught to play to the echo of the whistle. I always tell my guys um, defensively, pardon me, you don't, you, you, you tell them to play through the echo of the whistle. You don't hit a guy, but you still want to try to cover and try to make a play even if you hear a whistle, because what if it's not a whistle? What's it if it's a whistle from the stands or what have you? You don't know. You've got to be careful. So it's a fine line defensively. You don't want to give up on a play. You don't want to assume that was a whistle from the official. You want to play it out, but you've got to be careful. If you hit late, you can get called for that. I get all that. But they froze. The, the, the correct call is once the Whistle has blown the place dead. What they ruled, and I think it was a CYA move, is they ruled after the game was, no, the whistle came after the touchdown. It's pretty clear when you combine them together that the whistle was blown while the ball was in the air. So it certainly was not after. I just, I think they bleeped it up. So, in essence, in their mind, they're thinking, we made the wrong call by blowing the whistle because he wasn't out of bounds. And this is kind of a mess, so we're just going to conclude that it was after the play and kind of put it on the players that, well, you don't stop playing. It's kind of like, you know, to me, the, the the coaching point here is if you're an official, you see and you think it's out of bounds, I, I, you, look, you got to be darn sure. That's one of those cases I'm going to be slow with the whistle, okay? Because I'm thinking, I mean, you, he clearly thought it was out of bounds. I think you better be sure. I think you need to be a little slower with the whistle. Because you can go back and reverse it. If you throw it, it's a touchdown, and you find out he stepped out, you take it away. Well, once you blow it, you you end the whole play. And they ended the play, and then they kind of denied that they ended the play with a whistle while the ball was in the air claiming that it the whistle came after it was caught, which I don't think happened, and I think clearly anybody that heard and watched it see it's the same way. 
What was the story uh, of the Brian Flores flying? Uh, what it was more of him wanting total control of football operations. Also, did Flores want Justin Herbert? To us, since both were talking uh, after each other to a first and her. Um, no, the issue is more of power control between Brian Flores and Chris Greer. What happens, and, and I think Brian wanted to have more involvement and say so um, in the roster building. I, I don't know that Brian wanted Justin Herbert over Tua. Uh, we know that the organization took Tua. Um, but it is interesting that if I was looking at the Dolphins the past couple of seasons, the strength of that team has been their coaching is how well they played and covered up some of the real weaknesses, injuries at receiver, issues on the offensive line that teams plays hard, play smart, and I think their problem was more personnel. And I think in the power struggle, they kept the wrong guy. I don't know that I'd want to give Brian total control, but I certainly think that if they can't work together, um, there are two options, three options, really. One, if you like both guys, you got to get them to work together. If that can't work, then you've got to take the guy that's most talented and keep him, and the other one is out. Uh, the other one is you get rid of both of them. In this case, I think Flores was too good to get rid of, and I think of the two, Chris Greer, I would have moved on from. And I would have not necessarily given Brian control, but I would have had somebody that I felt was working more hand-in-hand with Brian because I think that's a mistake. The reason why most owners side with the GMs and not the coaches is because the GM has the owner's ear. He's there chirping in the owner's ear. If the owner goes to practice occasionally, the GM spends a little bit more time with the owner. The coaches a little bit more involved in coaching and prepping the team week to week. GM is a little bit more, again, in the games, before the games, after the games, before and after practice. And it's usually, again, it's the GM spinning it his way, and it usually falls on that. Uh, my belief is, and we're living in the world today where you've got less and less qualified people running teams that what you have happening is those people that are less qualified or more insecure, and they tend to backstab their coach. And for me, I've always had the approach that you can't drive a wedge between coach and GM. you you got to be joined at the hip. And there is no, I mean, you just work for one another. You work your rear end off for one another because you can't do it unless you do it together and you have a clear vision. And you may not agree with on all the players, but there's there there's a process and processes that you put in place to make sure that you maximize your chances if you're deciding between player A and player B in the draft or whatever. I think you you have to you have to do a good job of that, but it's too much egos and too much wanting to take credit for the success and pushing the blame off on someone else. It's the new age that we live in, right? Isn't that how it works in politics? Isn't that how it works in the world now? We live in a different world. There's not that loyalty to one another. It's hard to find the right type of people. And I think the qualified people that come from a coaching background and a football background can make decisions with the coach and, and have a shared vision. People that come from a non-football background, non-coaching, not non-scouting, non-playing, those are the guys that tend to see things a different way, and they're trying to advance themselves 
and the way they do it is at the expense of somebody else. Because again, all the things that are going well, that's me. But all the bad things, you see, we should have done that. We told him that, but he wanted that. And a lot of that stuff is BS. But a lot of owners buy it. So impressed with Will Anderson Jr. Will he be a difference maker day one in the NFL? Will Anderson of Alabama is the best run-defending edge rusher I have seen in a long, long time, a couple of decades. The most impressive thing he does is play the run. He blows up the run game from the defensive end position. He is a great edge rusher, no doubt. But guys that I have seen guys be great edge rushers. I have not seen those great edge rushers blow up the run to the degree that this guy does. He's a great football player. He's a top player in the draft type of player. He's that good. Uh, He's outstanding. No question about it. Um, Bryce Young won the Heisman. And and I thought it was deserved. I'm not so sure he wasn't even... And had I been the best player on this team, Will Anderson was probably the best player on the team. So those are some good thoughts. You got any more thoughts there? Uh, bring them uh, on here before the end of the show, and I'll get to them. Let's talk a little bit about the games, the matchups this weekend. The first game, of course, is Cincinnati-Tennessee. You've got Cincinnati with their first playoff win in, in over three decades. Um, they got outgained by the Raiders. Um, defensive line injuries are concerned in this game for me, for Cincinnati. Um, Ogunjobi was injured, placed on IR. Hendrickson is concussion protocol. Tennessee is sitting back healthy, rested. They're in really good position. Could see Derrick Henry, fresh legs. Stamina, play four quarters, don't know. Definite advantage that the Titans have. They earned it by having the best season. Um, You know, my thoughts are Tennessee is the better team of the two. And I do think particularly with the advantages at the line of scrimmage being enhanced due to the Bengals injuries, I I think that's that's a significant uh, lean here for me. I don't necessarily see a blowout, but I do think Tennessee's the better team, and I think they get it done. On Saturday night, we have the Niners and the Packers. Obviously, we talked about the really good performance by the Niners against the Cowboys last week. Um, they've won and covered very well. Um, each of their last two games have gone down to the final play in must-win situations. I think they've maximized what they are, who they are. I think they do a great job with formations. They do a great job working the run game. I think when completely healthy, their defense could be a force up front. Garoppolo's banged up. Uh, Lots on the line here. You know, uh, Garoppolo, you know, playing for his future here or somewhere else. Green Bay's the better team here. Again, getting some rest. Um, You had Bosa and Warner injured. Um, You know, this is probably the biggest thing. When when you earn a bye, you earn the number one seed. You've been the most most consistently best team in the conference all year long but you also have that extra time to get healthy. So while you're trying to work through the Niners are with Warner's ankle injury and balsa through concussion protocol, the Packers get Jair Alexander back, Zadarius Smith back. Um, this is a, you got a really good team that's healthier and you've got Aaron Rodgers. That's a huge difference. If you want to look at the differences 
And, you know, good teams are good teams, but good teams with really difference-making quarterbacks, how much of a difference does that make? Think about this. Cincinnati, Joe Burrow, a difference maker. Um, Tannehill, not quite, but pretty good. San Francisco, Rock Garoppolo, not so much, but not bad. Aaron Rodgers, difference maker. Stafford, talent difference maker. Brady, difference maker. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, difference maker, difference maker. Six out of the eight, elite level talent at quarterback. Big, big factor, like Green Bay here at home. The Rams, Tampa. No, this Bucks team is not playing as well as they were beginning of the year, uh, beginning of uh, the playoffs last year. But they're still, I think, the team to beat. Uh, the Rams, I do not like. As much as I enjoyed Monday night watching a playoff game, I'd rather the games be triple head or Saturday, triple head or Sunday, because I do think there's a competitive disadvantage for a team like the Rams to play on a short week. And in this case, going on the I just, you earn your seating, but just summarily because of TV viewership, we're going to put one team at a competitive disadvantage, and that is the winner of the Monday night game. And the wildcard round is is not. That is a competitive disadvantage, and I don't like it. Be that as it may, the Bucks are the better team here. I do not like the Rams being able to beat Tampa and Brady in this situation. I just think they're better. I think they're healthier. Um, I am a little concerned about Wirth scoring down against uh, Philly. I'm curious to see where this where this goes um, this week. But I, I think the Rams are good. I think they're dangerous. I don't think that um, that it'll be enough to pull this out. The game of the week clearly is Kansas City and Buffalo. And um, a lot of the early money came in on Buffalo and the, the gambling part of this. Buffalo was just dominant against New England. Um, no punts, no picks, no fumbles lost, no field goals, just score, 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 score. That's what it was for the Bills against the Patriots, against Bill Belichick, coach Patriots team. That's pretty, pretty doggone impressive. Um, would not surprise me if they went into Arrowhead and beat Kansas City. They're capable of doing so. They've got one of, if not the best secondary in the game. The quarterback is great. Um, I just think Kansas City is a little better. Um, I think Kansas City has even more weapons. Um, I think it could be a shootout. Um I think it'll be a challenge for both defenses matching up. I just think when I study these teams, the the difference that I see, and this is the key. Remember last year, Super Bowl time, the Chiefs did not have a healthy offensive line. If they can protect with the quarterback's playmaking ability, and if they have a healthy Kelsey Hill and they can have a Clyde Edwards-Alaire, for example, Chiefs have too many weapons. And if you just can't get them on the ground like the Bucks did in the Super Bowl, you, you're not – it's just – I mean, you could beat them, but good luck. I mean, they just have got – look, they got more – more uh, bullets in their gun than you have, but the Bills are really good. This this looks like two teams that can score on you, and good luck trying to stop them. And Tennessee is, you know, I think if they're able to get by Cincinnati, and I think they will, going to have their hands full at home 
against either one of these teams. But I do like Kansas City. Uh, we're going to have the detailed breakdowns of why, what the matchups look like, and why over at LandryFootball.com. So um, check that out. Again, all the latest on the coaching searches, GM searches, in the NFL notebook over at LandryFootball.com. All the transfer portal stuff in college over at LandryFootball.com. All the breakdowns of um, of uh, of all of these games, uh, these playoff games, the, the four games this weekend. Um, got all of that for you. Um, the draft, yeah, working on the draft and the initial draft boards. Um, February signing day, the second signing day, two weeks from today. We've got that um, for you. So a uh, lot going on, uh, lots of things. We are, as you know by now, we're trying to uh, – we're trying to organize some things. We're also in the process of working on some other projects that we'll tell you about at the appropriate time. But we are committed to try to do this show uh, once a week here. I, I am right now. I think this is the time slot we're going to do it in. Um, I'd like to hear. I mean, I, there, there's possibility of moving it earlier in the day. We'll see. Uh, well, we're we're, we're certainly going to want to do that again provided uh, the voice holds up. Uh, appreciate everybody. Appreciate Kev. Um, appreciate you joining us, making the show so good. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, and uh, Rich and every one of you out there listening, appreciate everything you do. Check us out at LandryFootball.com. If you're not yet a member, we still have the holiday saving special going on at LandryFootball.com. Take advantage of it. Less than $10 a month. It's cheaper than that if you get the year membership. Try it out for a month. Try it out for six months, a year. Uh, you th we think you'll love it. What's amazing is we've got more information in it. Um, when the football season ends, because it's just it's everything, the confluence of all the information and everything going on around in football. Football season is just more static and regimented. We got games and we got the previews. We got the reviews. They've got a lot more stuff going on. So one-stop shopping, football, LandryFootball.com. We take you inside the film room, inside the boardroom. We tell you what's going on and why. Check it out today. Tell your friends and tell your friends about what we're doing here in the Landry Football Podcast each and every Wednesday, 5 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Check us out next week. Appreciate you joining us. Have a great one. Enjoy the games. We'll be back to break them down for you next week and at LandryFootball.com. And we'll be talking about conference championship weekend next week and recap all these games. Take care, everybody. Appreciate you.